This recording goes with Nursing 676 Intrapartum class and the PowerPoint Postpartum Family Relationships, which is a presentation that nurse midwife Deb Reisel did for the students a year or two ago. Slide two, the outline is going to be talking about attachment and secure attachment, parental behavior, co-parenting, family patterns, and then how we as midwives can support positive family relationships. Slide three, definitions of what is attachment and what is attachment theory. So attachment is a bond that ties one person to another in a lasting and enduring way. And then attachment theory is interested in the ways in which primary bonds affect many aspects of life, such as relationships, self-concept, confidence, trust, self-efficacy, exploration of the world, risk-taking, and more. And it's specifically interested in the ways that these early primary bonds affect the entire life. Psychology Today says, the early experience of the infant stimulates growth of neural pathways that will sculpt enduring patterns of response to many things. So how is attachment formed? Babies are born able to recognize the differences between people and by three months they show an expectation of emotional states. Their expectations are based on the experiences that, that they have with their primary caregivers. So if their primary caregivers respond to their needs, then their experiences are positive and their expectations are that their needs will be met. Remember back to Erickson's stages that the first stage between birth and a year is trust versus mistrust. So an infant learns to trust the world when its needs are met. There's an internal working model that's in place by nine months and babies apply this model to new people and situations. So brain elasticity in those early years accommodates easy changes to this model, but only through age four. And after the age of four, the changes are really only made through rational process and conscious unlearning of that internal working model. Slide four, Mary Ainsworth described four different attachment types, and this was back in 1965, and that the style of caregiving directly informs the internal model the baby will create and therefore the expectations they will have of the world. I have one caveat for this, and that is that babies are all different. I had four babies, and they were very different babies, and they're very different adults. So while there is definitely evidence that parenting styles affect the way a child is and the way a child grows. It's also a mistake to blame parents for children's challenges and children's struggles. So this is not intended to blame parents, but more to inform how we can influence parenting styles and we can model behavior for parents. Slide six, the first type of parenting is secure attachment, and it's where caregivers respond, are responsive to babies' cues, such as cries and struggles, and signs that babies want to interact or that babies want to rest. 
caregivers are emotionally predictable and they're sensitive to their baby's experience. The babies will communicate all feelings openly and they expect caregivers will respond and be helpful to their needs. And then as a young child, they confidently learn and they explore their environment. They have increased flexibility, resourcefulness, resilience, empathy, and they develop good relationships. They can elicit support when they need it and have fewer behavior problems, negative emotions, and impulsivity. The second type of parenting is avoidant attachment. And this is where caregivers ignore, reject, or punish babies, particularly for being distressed. Negative and inaccurate descriptions, such as, he's crying just to spite me. Babies appear somber or expressionless in situations distressing to most infants. Physiological tests show that their stress response is the same as secure babies, but they don't express it. And then as a young child, they have rigid exploration, increased hostility, unprovoked aggression, and negative interactions. They exhibit withdrawal or sulk in hard situations, and they face more discipline from teachers. For an example of these types of avoidant attachment behaviors, think about the orphanages in the Ceausescu days of Romania. So this was in the late 1980s when his policies punished families for using family planning, and his ideas was we need a bigger workforce. So parents were overwhelmed with poverty and gave up babies to orphanages, and foster parenting and adoption was not a thing. So these infants were all in orphanages where they were basically lined up in rows of cribs, and they were not cared for, and nobody interacted with them. And now as adults, these adults have a lot of challenges with um, establishing any sort of attachments. There is ambivalent or resistant attachment where the caregivers are inconsistently responsive. The baby shows heightened distress compared with the reactions of securely attached babies to the same distressing situation. And then as a young child, they have decreased capacity to play alone or explore. They have increased separation anxiety, exhibit inhibition or withdrawal, and poor social skills. Then there's the disorganized or disoriented attachment. Caregivers may be ill or incapacitated. They're often neglectful or there's an abusive context. A history of trauma on the part of caregivers is very common and they tend to be anxious and fearful. Babies will exhibit contradictory behavior such as happily reaching for a caregiver and then appearing fearful. They're not able to signal a need for help. They remain distressed for long periods. As a young child, we don't really understand the effects as well. They're not clearly understood, but there seems to be a trend toward aggressive, hostile, and coercive behavior that's found in young school-aged children. Slide 10. How can we as healthcare providers support secure attachment? And so we can start by supporting parental physiology and we can move from there. So there's a science of becoming parents and this is slide 11. Parenting itself is a complex plaiting of neurobiological and environmental influences and the same is true for child development. 
Parenting evolves at various levels of functioning from neurons and hormones to socioeconomic, cultural, and religious contexts. Slide 12. So first, the mother's hormones. Human parenting is not hormone dependent. In other words, becoming a parent does not depend on the hormones, but we do know some things about hormones, in particular oxytocin, prolactin, vasopressin, testosterone, and cortisol, which prime and accompany parenting expression. Oxytocin is associated with increased parent-child synchrony, sensitive parenting, and parental touch in infancy, which then in turn predicts preschool social measures. Oxytocin, oxytocin measured across pregnancy and the postpartum explains variance in parenting behavior. Preterm birth and depression are risk factors for low oxytocin. Oxytocin decreases anxiety and it increases empathy in response to infant crying, increasing reward center activity in response to infant laughter. And childhood experiences and attachment style moderate the effects of oxytocin. So in other words, mothers with childhood experiences of harsh discipline did not respond to nasal administration of oxytocin as other mothers do. Slide 13, father's hormones. Father's testosterone drops after birth if he's present and if he holds and cares for his baby. And the father's oxytocin increases with skin-to-skin -skin contact. Skin-to-skin -skin contact increases scores on father's caregiving scale in all areas, including exploring, talking, touching, and caring for the baby. When parents' oxytocin increases, so does baby's, and it affects long-term development of the baby's oxytocin system and creates permanent change in the parental brain, increasing lifelong sensitivity. Oxytocin nasal spray makes fathers more caring and stimulating. But education is not enough. In a Taiwanese study, no fathers participated in skin-to-skin -skin in hospital without initiation by the nurses, despite them having education ahead of time. But then fathers voluntarily extended caregiving time after the initiation of skin-to-skin, -skin, which underscores the importance of us as healthcare providers promoting this and encouraging skin-to-skin. -skin. Slide 14, what about the hormones in non-biological parents? Well, what's interesting is just as parenting is triggered by hormones, parenting hormones can be triggered by parenting. So it essentially reverses where we parent, then we actually get more parenting hormones. So there's greater responses to greater skin-to-skin -skin care and committed parenting acts lead to neurobiological changes. Slide 15. The neurobiology behind this, caring for babies changes the brains of parents and they become more in tuned to care. Changes last the rest of parents' lives. Mother and father's brain changes differ. The more a father carries for a baby, the more his brain changes and the more it responds like a mother's brain. Bigger brain changes in parents of babies are linked to better social skills in the child at school. Slide 16. So the impacts of skin to skin, and this includes all parents. For the baby, the blood glucose levels rise 
temperatures and respiration stabilize, all good things, cortisol decreases, reducing stress and future stress responses, babies cry less, and there's oxytocin synchrony with the parent. For the parent, oxytocin rises, they become more sensitive and caring, they talk with the baby more, they become more involved in infant care at home, and they become more confident in caring for the baby. Slide 17. We're going to talk for a minute about the benefits of co-parenting. There's health benefits of engaging partners and fathers and the rest of the families. Breastfeeding improves and increases. Maternal mortality reduces. The mental health of the mother and child improves. It, access to services increases. Violence and abuse reduces. Sensitive parenting by other family members reduces the impact of maternal depression on family harmony and poor impacts on the child's social skills and internalized and externalized symptoms. Unequal sharing of caring roles is a major contributor to gender inequality. Slide 18. So think about co-parenting as teamwork. Talk to patients ahead of time have them set goals, encourage open communication, problem solving, and supporting one another. So how can we teach about sensitive parenting? We know that secure attachment matters. And so watching for sensitivity in the, in the mothers and the families and in the parents are they sensitive to their baby's cues? Do they respond to their baby's cues? Think about this as an overall pattern of experience rather than individual moments because we all have our moments, especially when sleep deprived. And parents tend to have some hot topics. One is sleep training. One is schedules. One parent might feel like because they're going to work, they shouldn't have to get up in the middle of the night. And there's often daycare as a hot topic. And then there are the parenting wars. If one parent wants to do attachment parenting and the other one does not, helicopter parents, bulldozer parents, free-range parents, and of course there's a million books talking about parenting. Slide 20. So talking to families about avoiding the pitfalls in problematic family patterns. So there's cherry picking, when one parent has autonomous choice over their involvement and the other picks up everything else. And then the other thing is gatekeeping, when one parent controls the knowledge and or permission to care for the baby and the other may only participate on their terms. I'm going to give you an example of this and that was when one of my children was born, I started going to a daytime La Leche League and the mothers it was all mothers in this group, spent most of their time complaining that their partners didn't do enough and the rest of the time complaining about how their partners didn't do things right. So thinking about that, a person's less likely to offer to do things if they're criticized for the way they're done. So when a partner puts on a baby outfit and potentially puts it on backwards, rather than criticizing them for putting it on backwards, thanking them for dressing the baby at all. 
Slide 21. So what's a midwife to do? First of all, assess that parent parental sensitivity. When you're in with the patient doing your postpartum rounds, watching, do they acknowledge the baby? Do they gaze at the baby, vocalize to the baby? Is there affectionate support, affectionate touch? And then another thing is modeling. So you acknowledge the baby, you talk to the baby, hold the baby. And then the other thing that's very important is affirming. So one thing I often do is as I'm holding the baby and the mother is talking to me, comment on how the baby will turn to look at the mother because the baby recognizes her voice. So just pointing out things to the mother to express how smart her baby is, how beautiful her baby is. It all seems very silly, but it's all very important in affirming and also modeling how we can um, care for babies. Slide 22. Again, modeling sensitivity. N noticing, oh, your baby is so alert. Your baby's looking around. Look at how smart your baby is. Your baby recognizes your voice and that sort of thing. Slide number 23, some tips for promoting great family relationships. During antenatal care, invite partners to appointments and speak directly to them, asking them specific questions. Encourage partner responsibility for providing good nutrition, time for rest, hands-on relief of pregnancy discomforts, and postpartum planning. Prompt shared decision-making and goal-setting around birth preparation, breastfeeding goals, postpartum care plans, and newborn care, and provide useful, inclusive materials and recommendations. Promote co-parenting or supported parenting and provide attachment education. Make good use of the waiting room time with books and videos in your waiting room. Slide 24. So now, tips during the intrapartum and postpartum rounding for promoting great family relationships. Showing partners how to provide labor comfort measures. We're all excited about doing them ourselves and proud of our ability to do them, but I've learned that it's really helpful to promoting great family relationships to show them how to do them versus you doing them yourself. Involving partners in decision-making. Place baby skin-to-skin -skin with both parents within the first 24 hours and encourage a minimum of 15 minutes of skin-to-skin -skin time per parent per day. Include partners in all instruction and education. Give opportunities for practice of skills such as swaddling, diapering, and bathing baby. Point out baby cues and model awareness of sensitivity to baby's body language. Ask about plans for home care for mom and baby and provide postpartum and self-slash-partner care resources. All right, now to postpartum office visits, what can a midwife do? Provide attachment-informed answers to common questions about sleep routines, growth spurts, breastfeeding, and getting out with baby. Point out baby cues and model awareness of sensitivity to baby's body language. Assess the well-being of both parents. Ask about co-parenting and relationship stress. Give words to their experiences, drawing from family planning knowledge both highlighting strengths you see and naming problem patterns. 
and then provide resources and recommendations for websites, books, and local groups or professionals. And then we also have a responsibility to the community to engage in the community, so participate in antenatal and postnatal groups for partners and couples, participate in public information campaigns to raise awareness of the roles that partners can play in supporting pregnancy, birth, and the care of babies, connecting local parents to the global conversation about fatherhood, co-parenting that's challenging local cultures everywhere, pilot and evaluate new approaches to add local data to international evidence, and promote existing international knowledge to policymakers and practitioners at the national level through briefings and meetings. So essentially what this is, is you volunteering in your community, you supporting research in parenting, and you also being a political advocate for good policies around parenting. And then the final slide, slide 27, provides you with some recommendations for parents and also providers. Thank you.